Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Deep Dive podcast, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. RJ, I mean, there's there's some stuff to talk about. Only one game in the last week, right, since the last podcast, so you know, not too much to break down game-wise, but I think some very interesting questions, and then... A very interesting article written about Maddie Beniers today in the Athletic that I want to go over because it was it was fascinating, and uh, I'm I'm struggling not to not to name this podcast RJ just you know Maddie is good actually part two, which I think right. we might we probably could after we talk about this. Yeah, I don't think that would be a problem. I, I think our last one, because we had one earlier this season that was called yes. Maddie Beniers is Good, actually. Uh, and I think that one did pretty good numbers. So I, I think that would be a decent title this week. Yeah, so we might end up with that. We'll, of course, catch up on um, a little bit of news and notes from this from this week that, again, mostly included the Kraken's bye week. But, of course, we got to start off with shouting out Queen Anne Beer Hall, the sponsor of this podcast, as they are each and every week of the season RJ, looked like a blast watching the Super Bowl there yesterday. I mean, all the stuff that they were posting looked like a good time. Oh, yeah. Looking at that on the Instagram story. I mean, definitely a fun time for everybody with the Super Bowl. Certainly better than the game itself. I mean, that's the place you want to be if the game turns out to be a dud because you're having a great time at the beer hall. You've got some beer. You've got some food. You don't really care, right? No, and I got to think, you know, a, a fun sports bar in Seattle watching the Niners lose probably a good time <laughs> definitely definitely yeah i was i was around some seahawks fans we'll just say uh when watching the game and yes uh, I, I think the ones i was around anyway they kind of played it cool at the start of the game like oh well don't really like either team you know these weren't the teams you were hoping for but then by the end when it got to overtime there were just every single play <laughs> the chiefs made like yes yes let's go Yep, and you know the beer hall was like that as well. So shout out to Queen Anne Beer Hall. And then also, real quick before we get started, one more reminder that tomorrow night is our watch party over at Flatstick Pub, the South Lake Union location. You can join RJ there for the Kraken game against the New York Islanders. It's a 4.30 start, and then you stay after the game. I'll be doing post-game live like normal on YouTube. We're going to be bringing RJ on from Flatstick Pub and you guys as well if you want to join us uh you can ask a question live on the post game live uh really looking forward to that rj yeah me too i mean it's going to be a great time over at flatstick and um i the post game live too i mean it's the first time we kind of incorporated you know the the viewers onto it people have been able to put things in chat forever of course yeah. it's always been an interactive show but you know to be on camera i think that would be a really cool uh cool element to it yeah so definitely looking forward to uh well to seeing everybody see RJ at Flatstick Pub tomorrow know, the South Lake Union location. How I wish we could just say to see us. See us there. Come hang out with us. I know. But uh, I will be there. I'm very much looking forward to it. And we'll try and make Dylan a little jealous, but not too jealous. Well, I was just going to say, somebody out there, beat him at, at, at mini golf for me, please. Yep. Prize to whoever Show me does up that. So Dylan feels better. <laughs> yes. Oh, man, for sure. All right, RJ, let's kick off uh, things with news and notes. That's right. Okay, news and notes. So there's not a whole lot <laughs> yeah, of, not that there's of much. <laughs> news and or notes this week, uh, to be honest. I mean, we had Justin Schultz uh, missing the last game being away from the team, but he's back this morning. So we've got the update from Morning Skate uh, that he is back. So that's not really news or news that's kind of undone itself. Um, but really the big news, I think, is uh, the lines, the line combinations coming back from the break. Now, these are not necessarily unfamiliar line combos right these are things that we've seen before this season but they're different 
than they were heading into the all-star break. And, you know, at first I didn't really give it much thought, but uh, there was a, a piece with Allison Lucan that came out this morning where she talked to head coach Dave Haxtall and about a number of different things kind of after the all-star break. But one of the things that Haxtall said that he highlighted uh, during the break was he said they gave a lot of thought to the line combos because the Kraken are healthy for the first time in a while. They're, they're pretty much fully healthy. And so he said that it was really important to look at, okay, what do we want the lines to be? How do we want to line up, particularly with the forwards, now that we actually have the option to kind of use everybody that we have? Um, and so the line combos have kind of reverted to what we saw earlier this season where we've got Tatar, Beniers, Eberle, we've got McCann, Wenberg, and Schwartz. Uh, Tolvin and Gordon Bjorkstrand, of course. You can set your watch to that one. Mm -hmm. And then Burakovsky, Yamamoto, and Tanev is how they lined up last game. And Yamamoto, not a natural center. It's not really his normal spot. But you could also see maybe a Pierre-Edouard Belmar switching in there once he's ready to go. Um, but it seems like these are the lines, at least from what Haxtell was saying, that they'd like to stick with ideally if they can remain healthy and kind of try to build the chemistry that way. I mean, what do you think of that, Dylan, as far as kind of just reevaluating everything at the all-star break and, and putting emphasis on lines that you want to try and build that chemistry with. Cause I don't think we're going to see the line blender coming out anytime soon, unless they really falter over the next four or five games. Yeah. And it's the appropriate time to do that, right? The all-star break is, is a natural point for you to be able to, as a coaching staff, look at the way your team's been performing, anything you want to change. Now's the time, especially if you're going to be getting your bye week right after it, right? Like it gives you even more time to really dissect everything that's gone on in the season up to that point. You can look at what was going well for us. When were we at our best? When did we feel like we were producing the most? We were seeing the most chemistry from guys. And then you can also look at the times when the team has struggled and you can say, what were we struggling with? How can we improve on that? What, what do we make sure we never do again? Right. All of those things. <laughs> it gives you plenty of time to, to go through that and really, really talk about it. So I mean, I'm happy to hear that that Hackstall used that time that way, right? That's, I think, ideally how you would want uh, the coach to talk about using that time. And yeah, I think the way they have the line set up right now really works for them for the most part, right? You have the Yanni Gord line. We know what they do on a nightly basis and what they're capable of. I think that's good. I think, you know, we've seen the most amount of chemistry for Matty Beniers with Tatar and Eberle and that line and the way they produce. We saw them score in their first game back, right? Tatar picks up a goal. Great moving screen for Matty there. Just kind of like a good, um, you know, cohesive unit working together there. Uh, Jared McCann kind of keeping things going. And then I know we're going to talk about the trade deadline stuff in a little bit, RJ, but I also, I look at this lineup, you mentioned Pierre Edward Belmar, not really a part of it right now, but I do look at things and, you know, if you were to say move on from Alexander Wenberg come trade deadline time, I think it sets up really nicely. You have Jared McCann, since he did look pretty good at center in what he was playing pre-All-Star break, yep. you have him slide over into your second line center spot and you can bring Burakovsky up from the... Um, from the fourth line, right? And then you can have Belmar work in on the fourth line with Yamamoto or put Yamamoto over to wing, have Belmar come back into his more uh, into the center spot, right? So like I do think that the way they've set things up right now, it gives them the most flexibility moving forward in addition to just, you know, taking advantage of what they know has worked so far this season. Yeah, I think that's a good observation with certainly if if Wenberg were to be moved on from, right? You just slide Jared McCann to the middle, Burakovsky up, very easy move to make. And you're not messing with with two of the four lines 
and it's just nice and easy. So I, I think that does make sense. What do you think about McCann going back to wing? I, I think it's fine, right? Like he's produced there consistently his entire tenure as a as a member of the Kraken, right? Like we saw it. He he was the only guy able to produce offense in the entire third period of that game against the Flyers, right? Like he's he's a good player who's gonna who's gonna succeed no matter where he is. I like the fact that on the wing it frees him up to be more of a, you know, volume shooter. He can just kind of focus on the offensive side of things. But I, I think the versatility that he can bring, knowing that at any point you can slide him over to center and he's good defensively, like he's gonna help take care of you and he's gonna help out his defense. I'm I'm good with that. Yeah, me too. And certainly if you have Beniers, Wenberg, Gord down the middle, right? Yeah, I mean you don't need having that. a fourth center there doesn't really make any sense. Right. And if he's gonna be your best pure shooter which he is on this team right one of the few guys that you would even say is like a a pure goal scorer if not the only one realistically on this team uh putting him on the wing where he can just focus on doing that for you and and try to produce you know a goal every other game for a team that struggles with offense it's probably the best position you can put him in. It's, it's probably the best deployment of him that you could have as a coach yeah i'd agree with that I'm trying to stretch the the lines segment here. I mean, there's not a whole lot else to talk about. I mean, on, you know, on D, it looks like just the same pairings, but that rotation, Riker Evans did get that first game in uh, against the, Fly uh, the Flyers because Schultz, you know, was away from the team for personal reasons. I am curious to see if Schultz uh, uh, gets back into the lineup here today or uh, what they decide to do with that. Yeah, because that's the real question moving forward. Like that of, of the things, if they're not going to make trades, right? You know, assuming there's no like Justin Schultz trade or something like that. The one thing that I'm most curious about moving forward, the one spot where I could see there being any sort of controversy over who should be here would just be for that third pairing, you know, role between Riker Evans or Justin Schultz. Because, you know, there's the argument to be made if you're going to have Riker Evans up, you kind of want to be playing the young guy instead of just healthy scratching him. But at the same time, you know, you like the veteran leadership that Justin Schultz can bring. He's had great moments this season. That's the only spot where I can see things getting a little like messy or controversial or, you know, the fan base being divided or anything like that um, with this, the lineup and the way things are. I, it, I guess it'll just depend on once Schultz really gets worked back in, do we see Riker stay at the NHL level or do they send him back down? Right, because in the long term, he needs to get games. Like over the rest of this season, one way or another, he needs to right. play in a lot of games. And yeah, sitting in the press box is not going to do that for him. So it'd be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, I mean, and it, one injury would take care of all of that. You don't want to see don't that. But that, like yeah. this blue line is just so uncommonly healthy. <laughs> it feels like, you know, even just having a backup plan like the Kraken do, just having one extra guy who's NHL caliber creates problems because they're so healthy yes it's it's kind of wild so that's i think still the the one place to look at as far as uh what might we see um but ultimately i mean that's just going to be dave hackstall and then you know potentially ron francis too we could go ahead and start transitioning over into talking about the trade deadline rj because it's you know less than a month away and We've we've been talking about it for a little while now, and the Kraken are kind of in this spot where the next couple of weeks are going to really, you know, most likely determine what direction they take at the trade deadline. And Justin Schultz is certainly one of those guys that has been talked about, uh, you know, regarding the trade deadline. And I th do think it'll be interesting to see if they do keep Riker Evans up. Do you think that that would signal that maybe they're leaning towards making a move with Justin Schultz at the deadline? I think it's certainly possible. I mean, it's the one that would make the most sense, right? And I think, too, if you're trying to just 
look, you're right on the playoff bubble, right? You're in that race, but you're on the outside. I think that's the one move you could make where you bring in assets and you really don't give up a whole lot. Basically, all you're giving up is just depth, insurance in case of a long playoff run, which is kind of looking less likely by the day. You could still make it. You could still get to the playoffs. Once you're in, you don't know what's going to happen. But, you know, can you really afford to hang on to somebody who's basically just an insurance policy for the playoffs. If you like Greg Evans more in that spot, I don't know that you can, if you look like, if it looks like you can get a good return. So that's the move that would be the easiest to make. And I think that would make the most sense. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, And defensemen, I mean, they just always have, they have good value come trade deadline time, right? Like that's, it's, it's always hard to turn down the value, but a a trading away a defenseman could bring to your team from, from perchance. Dylan, real quick though. What's what's the price that would make it worth it to you? I know this is like kind of more, you know, my thing with the armchair GM, but like what price would make it worth it to you to move him? Well, again, if you're committed to Riker and, you know, I, I think like they are and I, I would be looking at Riker and how he's played second round pick. I agree. That's, that's what I would set. Just asking price, second round pick. You want to meet that? You can get him. If not, we're keeping him. Right. And, you know, look, a second round pick for a guy who could come in, run one of your power play units, move the puck defenseman i mean it's, it's valuable yeah we there's certainly precedent for it at the deadline for teams paying a price like that for a player like that definitely definitely so i that would be that would be the price for me on on justin schultz um from from justin schultz who's potentially the most likely guy to be moved you know regardless of where the kraken are at um playoff wise come trade deadline to jordan everly right who's who's maybe the least likely player to be moved uh and that seems even more likely given what um we got from Elliot Friedman earlier on 32 thoughts right so some news on the 32 thoughts podcast Elliot Friedman brought this up and um i, I there wasn't really even a segment about it really he just said one more thing i want to talk about with it was Jordan Everly and he said i think the Kraken I'll, I'll quote him here i think the Kraken take a run at trying to sign him we'll see where that goes but i would be surprised if they didn't try to sign him first um, and so signing him first would mean before you would shop him or make a trade or anything like that. So um, interesting on Jordan Eberle there, because look, I don't think that he's all that likely to be moved, certainly of the three pending UFAs, like we talked mm-hmm. about, probably the least likely. But um, I mean, this does hint that, you know, the Kraken might be looking to re-sign him, which is when we've done the armchair GM, he kind of hasn't been in my plans for next season. I mean, people have talked about him. We've looked at what it would cost to re-sign him potentially where he might fit in. But overall, if you're kind of looking to bring in that star player, that doesn't leave a whole lot of money left for Jordan Everly. Right. I mean, it's going to be tight for the, for the Kraken cap wise, no matter what you do. And then, I mean, look really RJ, it's going to come down to what the price is, right? Like he's, he's making 5.5 this year. The production hasn't been there for that. 28 points so far this season, only nine goals, right? Like we know that. I think everybody kind of knows that, right? That's just the situation. So it would depend on, you know, what the, what the term is given that he's 33 years old and really most importantly, what the cap hit would come down to. Right. Like right. You and can, you could bring him back on a cheaper deal, but if you're looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of his, of his current contract, I don't know that that's in your best interest. Yeah, we've seen some varying numbers as far as what a next contract might look like. Um, I mean, there's uh, 
the projection from AFP analytics, which is, you know, one of the publicly available, uh, you know, contract projection models. And I mean, there, there are some on those that make sense, some that make less sense than others, but their projection for him is three years at 6.4 million a year. So that seems high to me. Yeah. Uh, just, and we, we talked about this a little bit before recording, but that's, yeah, that, that's high to me. I know you agree with that. I think certainly it would be less than that. Certainly if he re-signs with Seattle. Because I think that's really the key. So Eberly, I, I believe, has expressed his desire to re-sign in Seattle. He wants to stay here. He's got a young family. I'm sure he doesn't want to move them at this point, right? And I remember hearing somewhere, I don't remember exactly where, that he wasn't necessarily thrilled like coming to Seattle just because he had to kind of move his family and his life and everything, which... You know, that's not easy for for a guy at that stage of his life. Um, so I'm sure he probably does want to stay in Seattle. The question is, how big of a discount is he willing to take to do that? And, and how big of a discount would the Kraken need him to take for it to make sense? Right. I mean, that's that's more your ballpark, right? But like it, I mean, it depends. Do you, do you think that this is the new like kind of normal production wise? Do you just kind of go, look, a lot of guys on this team this year have been struggling. You you go up and down the lineup and you see a lot of players like him with sub 10% shooting percentages. That's not normal for his career. You know, so you, you can count on most likely better numbers next year than what he's, what he's been able to put up this year. But still... You, you know, you're looking at a player that's, you know, going to be closer to 35 than 30, right? Like, you know, these are the realities of it. I think number wise, what, two, two and a half? Is that too low? <laughs> it's definitely too low. He's not taking that little. I think really, I mean, on the open market, I think you know, maybe on a two-year deal, he could get something in that 6.4 million range. If he takes a little bit less term, you know, he might be going to a, a team that he, he wouldn't, you know, be the happiest with necessarily. That's if you're really just trying to maximize money. Uh, but but I think certainly anything anything less than four is going to be difficult for for the Kraken to do as far as just, just reality-wise, looking at what Eberle could probably get on the open market. Um, but, you know, he's a well-known name. He's a respected veteran. I think that thing, that's going to go far if he does hit the open market and other teams are going to want that kind of leadership there, even though the numbers don't match it. For me, I think the highest I would do is three if I'm Ron Francis as, mm -hmm. as far as a cap hit. And I I don't know that Everly would be willing to take that. Yeah. Given it, the contract projections, given what he could probably get from another team. Not unless there was significant term attached to that, which again, I don't know that it makes the sense makes sense for the Kraken to do. Right? No. Given where the Kraken are at, they're gonna have to, you know, they're gonna be starting to transition away from some of the expansion draft guys into more of the, you know, homegrown, drafted, developed, all of that stuff over the course of the next several years, in addition to having to go out and, and really try to find a superstar. So I, I don't know that, that, you know, a significant amount of term would make a lot of sense for Jordan Eberle either. Right. I mean, he's 34 by the time next season starts too. So, mm -hmm. I mean, that's a three-year deal up until the age of 37. And, and guys' production generally does tend to, really fall off by that time. So, I mean, you're going to have to kind of plan. If you're giving him a three-year deal, uh, you're going to have to look at that third year and realize, okay, he's almost certainly not going to be matching the production that comes with the cap hit there. So, you know, three million, three times three is actually even a little dicey for me, just given, yeah. you know, the cap's going up. So I, I could probably stomach that, but I don't know. I, I, I just, I feel like this is a contract that's going to be, higher than what would make sense for the Kraken. That whoever signs yeah. him, certainly if it's a three-year deal, 
is going to kind of regret it by the third year. Yeah, I think, uh, well, I th- and I just think that that's, you know, generally the case for, for players at that. that yeah, and age. it's not an Everly thing. Again, yeah, nothing not, against not him. Everly, no. Love the leadership, love the, you know, the, I like the player that he is mm-hmm. too. It's just when you have players that are this age that are at a UFA year, there's generally always someone that's willing to pay more for what they have done versus what's right. what they're going to do. Right. And especially when, and I think it speaks really to Everly's, you know, how good of a leader he is, how great of a voice he is in the room where teams are going to pay for that when, you know, the production might not match that. Yeah. Um, but going back to, to the original question of, does this mean that we don't think he gets moved at the deadline, right? Like this, this kind of coming out the idea that, that the Kraken are interested in working on something um, for, for beyond this season, you know, look, he's got the modified no trade clause, right? Like he, he submits a 16 team, no trade list. So that's, you know, over half the league, given he's already on one of the teams, right? So you're talking about yep. fif- 15 teams that he could move to, um, you, you know, you'll look at, at his career RJ and I would, I would wonder if he's somebody who, you know, wants to, wants to try to go out and win a Stanley cup. Right. And this could be one of the better opportunities to potentially do that if you're willing to either waive that no move clause, no trade clause or, you know, be traded for the rest of this year. Do you think that this might be a situation where we still see him traded at the deadline, but then he comes back in the offseason? Right. He can keep his family in Seattle. Right. You go just spend a couple months somewhere else, work on trying to win a Stanley Cup and then you come back. Do you think he would be open to something like that? I know that's like a loaded question, but. Right. Well, I mean, here's the thing. It makes logical sense. It's just so rare that we see that. Yeah. There there are situations like that every year where it, it, you'd think, okay, well, maybe it would make sense for this guy to get traded at the deadline and then just come back to his original team. It's just, it's very rare that we see the guy actually come back. You, the trades you often see, mm-hmm. but when that happens, generally they tend to go somewhere else in free agency. So I'd say it's unlikely, you know, maybe the family dynamic changes things. I mean, really, it's just a, up to Jordan Eberle and kind of what he mm-hmm. values and prioritizes. And, and we can't really know that. So um, it makes logical sense, I suppose. I mean, you know, and he still is chasing a Stanley Cup. You know, he, he hasn't won one. So that's something. And he's gotten close before with the Islanders, too. Right. I mean, he's he knows what it takes. He knows how close you can get and how difficult it is to get there. Um, and I'm sure that's something he would love to do over the course of his career. Um, I don't know, but I, I think at this point, really what there's 10 games till the trade deadline, mm-hmm. I think really, it just comes down to the Kraken's performance. I think they'd have to lose you know, maybe seven of those 10 for him to have a chance of moving. Yeah. I just remember being in Dallas last year. Right. And as, as the second round was going the way it was, you're going to a game seven. Um, you could tell how important it was that they really try to win that to Jordan Everly. Right. Like he was the guy in the locker room that you could tell. I don't want to say was like taking it the most seriously because like that might make it sound like other guys weren't taking it as seriously. But it was just like there was just an extra level of seriousness that I didn't really know was possible for somebody to have that he somehow had. And and afterwards, you could tell he was by far and away the most affected by the loss. Right. And so that's why I just wonder, I, I just I that that image is like seared into my brain of him after that game and just how much it took out of him and, and how much that really mattered to him. And that's why I'm th- I'm 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 just wondering if he would be interested in doing something like that, because it's something that clearly matters so much to him personally. 
Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, if you're a younger guy, like, say, a Matty Beneers or whatever, you know, only 20 years old, in the back of your mind, even if you're not thinking it right then, you're just like, well, you know, I'll be back. Right. I'll be back here. This is a good team. You know, I've got a lot of time in my career. But no, as you as you get to be, you know, into your 30s, you start to think about how many shots do I really have left? Um, and certainly when you get close and you don't get it. So that makes sense to me. I mean, the other thing I would add, if if he was interested, I think the trade protection is... I don't want to say irrelevant, but just knowing how Ron Francis operates on these things. Mm -hmm. I mean, we saw how he handled the Mark Giordano situation yep. where Francis went to Gio and he said, you know, I, I need you to hand me a list of, of teams like just contractually. I need you to give me your, your no trade list. And he said, Gio gave him a list of just like all non-playoff teams that we just wouldn't even factor in. He said, trade me wherever. Mm -hmm. And so Francis had complete flexibility in that situation to trade Gio wherever would give him the highest return. And he traded him to the number one spot that Gio wanted to go. And I think he left a little bit of value, a little bit of return on the table so that he could do right by a veteran player like that. I'd have to imagine he'd, he'd be in a similar mindset Absolutely. with Jordan Everly. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think when you're talking about return also, I think it might be a little bit less than you'd otherwise expect if you just had a total bidding war going on because Francis would probably want to do right by Everly and send him to his desired destination if he were to move him. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely think regardless of who, who we're talking about, um, Ron Francis is going to, you know, communicate to the player the entire process, right? Like that's just the kind of person he is, the kind of general manager he is. Uh, I think we would see that for sure. And then just real quick, I know the trade deadline stuff for every, not for everybody, right? It's not everybody's favorite topic because, you know, we are talking about potentially losing some of these guys. Um, but the last person who's kind of been floated would be Alexander Wenberg. I, I really think he's the one that, you know, just depends on how the Kraken play the next couple weeks. If they're playing well, I, I really think they hold on to Alexander Wenberg, right? You want that 2C. We know how good he can be defensively, all of that stuff. If they struggle, given the returns on the market we've seen for centermen, you know, you are looking at, you know, I would say most likely a first round pick. I think you could probably get that for Alexander Wenberg. Um, and so then that brings the question, RJ, should, should they do that? Just because I was thinking about this yesterday. If they were to get a first-round pick for Wenberg, say you trade Justin Schultz for a second, right? Maybe you trade Eberle on top of that for another second, maybe. Yeah, right? we'll call it that. We'll call it a second. So now you're you're the Kraken, and you're going into next year's draft. You got two first, three seconds. That's a good spot for this team to be in, as we've been talking about. Look, they they need you know they need maybe a superstar level player, right? That's kind of the one missing piece that this team has had. We know what their their timeline is, RJ, to be competitive, and it's sooner rather than later, right? That's that's obviously great to walk into a draft with five early picks like that, but maybe that doesn't fit their timeline. So the two things that I was thinking of: should the Kraken do that? We could see them trade all of those picks for an existing NHL player, or Maybe they trade up into like the top five because their own pick, you know, if, if should things go bad and they they do have to sell off and everything, their own pick could sneak into the top 10 there. Right. And right. so I mean, it's it's, it's not going to yeah. be too, too low for a non-playoff team. So I, I I do wonder if we maybe see one of those two things from from the Kraken should things go in that direction. Right. I mean, certainly I think that's the direction you would have to go if you choose to kind of sell off this year at the deadline and get as many assets as you can, because those draft picks aren't helping you for, for the next, you know, until three years three out years. or so. And it, yeah, yeah, basically three years is the timeline. And certainly if you're Ron Francis, you don't have three years to wait. 
you yeah. need to be competitive again next season. I mean, then all of a sudden you're kind of on the clock there. So I think you would have to package them and, and kind of turn around and try and get somebody. And it's always interesting when a team has multiple kind of high picks that they're willing to move because you can maybe jostle free other guys that aren't necessarily in trade conversations from other teams where all of a sudden they have to kind of give it a second thought like, okay, you know, three fairly high draft picks are now on the table who would we be willing to move for that? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's probably the most likely direction you go. I mean, the other way is, you know, maybe see how high you can trade. I just pulled up a tra- uh, draft pick value chart here um, from The Athletic, actually. So it will have a lot of uh, the athletic stuff uh, in, in today's episode. Yeah. Um, but I'm looking at, say, a pick, you know, 12 or so. That's yeah. like, you know, five and a half points or whatever, plus a pick, you know, 25. So that's like 8.8 plus a pick. Uh, let's say, you know, like 40 plus two. So that's like, you know, 10 quote unquote points on the draft value chart. And that's roughly equivalent to the third overall pick. Now you might, if you're trading up that high, you'd probably have to overpay. Yeah. You know, so that can maybe get you pick four or five, mm-hmm. but you know, that's enough ammo to get you into the top five, I think. Right. And then you're drafted a really good player, right? Like, and a player who conceivably could come in and join the squad next year right like like top five picks they're doing that more and more these days maybe it takes them one year to get to the nhl but still like you're talking about a much more accelerated timeline and the chance to you know and i don't want to say easier chance because with scouting you know it's it's always an inexact science but it might be your only avenue to try to find that net that game-breaking player that you're kind of missing just because it's so hard to trade for them they're so rarely available via trade Right. And I mean, we've talked about this, you know, in in the recent past, right, with um, talking about how the Kraken are kind of lacking star power and and what are the avenues that you have as an NHL team to get star power. And they're actually quite limited. You can go and trade for a difference maker on the trade market, but you're kind of at the mercy of who happens to be available at a given time. And that's something we're a little bit worried about coming this offseason, who's actually going to be available. And the only other way to do it really is through a top five draft pick. Yep, And there's a lot of pain you have to go through. I mean, Kraken fans know anyone who followed the team in year one knows the kind of pain you have to go through to get a top draft pick. So, uh, you know, this could be a way to kind of circumvent that, I guess, if you could trade in the top five. I don't know if a team would want to trade down this year just because it does seem like a pretty good top five and a pretty good draft class. So that's that's another worry, right? Our team's going to want to trade down. But if you can manage to trade up, think it's not the worst idea look there are external pressures on the kraken you know there's the season mm-hmm. ticket holder thing where you know you hate to keep bringing it up but there's that you know there's making sure that you know you're trying to build a big fan base in a you know in a market that you're fairly new to right maybe you can't afford to just kind of call it quits on this season but if you're not taking any of that into account you know and and you may say go 500 over the next 10 games you're just five and five it might make a lot of sense to go this route, even if you're just trying to load up and, and go for it next season. Right, right, exactly. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's again, in a vacuum, you don't have to worry about job security. You don't have to worry about team financials or viewership numbers and all of that stuff, right? And like, yes, you would just do, you would pick the avenue that is best for the team, uh, you know, to, to make you the most competitive in the years in which you can be most competitive. But uh that's not really how it works. <laughs> so we, nope. will, we will see again, though, all of this is just going to be dictated by how the team plays, right? The team 
you know, I, I know there was a big long Discord discussion about the idea of like controlling their own destiny and that as a saying and that you don't actually do that. Um, but it's a <laughs> it's a mindset, right? Like it's a, it's a mindset. It's a sports psychology aspect of things, but it's very much that situation where the, the team is going to dictate what happens is the bottom line, right? Yeah. If that's a, if that's a better way of saying it, than controlling your own destiny for people, the team's going to dis- dictate what happens because if they're playing really well, come trade deadline time, you're not going to be selling. And if they, if they aren't, you probably will see that because that's just the way it goes. And so it's going to be interesting there. Um, but speaking of top five picks, RJ, including for the Kraken, Matty Beniers, this article dropped on the athletic earlier. I don't, Oh, I don't have the the name of the article. Like, what was the the actual headline of the article? Um, I don't know if you have it up still on. Let on me your let ends. me let me try and find but, it here. Um, it was I a, retweeted it, by the way. So yes. everyone, if you you know, go on Twitter. I, I retweeted it by its article by Dom Lecision. Uh It is called "How Matty Beniers Is Showing Selkie Trophy Potential Despite Sophomore Slump." Yes, and it is. I mean, it's a fantastic article. At explaining really what you know, you and I have been talking about for a while, um, both on this podcast and the post game lives, live game commentaries, really anywhere we can, which is just how good Matty Beniers is defensively, and he is he is just a fantastic two hundred foot player. I mean, going back to his draft year, that was very evident that that's that's really his game is is to be a defensive centerman, focus on things in the defensive zone, help his team get out of jams there, move the puck up the ice, right? Like that is just this kid's bread and butter and it really always has been. Um but what I thought was really fascinating about this article was it it does a good job RJ and you know realistically a better job than you or I could just cuz they have access to more information than we would of of really showcasing how good Maddie has been this year defensively. Right. And and you start you as you go through the article, it starts talking about, um, well, it's more your thing. I should probably let you handle this. But as it gets into, you know, kind of some of the more analytics based stuff that you can base defensive uh, skill off of right, defensive value, because it's a hard thing to to kind of quantify. you know, they, they start talking about that stuff with like defensive zone you know, re- puck retrievals and zone exits and stuff like that. And I'll, I'll like I said, I'll probably let you take us through that because uh, it's a little bit more up your alley than mine. Sounds good. I mean, when you look at this article, too, the, the big picture, I, I think, is roughly what Dylan, what you've been saying, honestly, since before Matty Beniers was drafted by the Kraken uh, is, you know, just how elite his defensive potential is and, and how great work he does in the defensive zone. Um, you know, the offense stuff is a little questionable as, you know, as we all know, but the big picture remains the same, but the, the real big revelation with this article is the data mm-hmm. and the, the data. I mean, this was kind of eye popping to, to both of us really. Yeah. Um, and I mean the the two uh, the two areas that that uh, Dom is looking at here, and this is all from uh, Corey Snyder's uh, All Three Zones Project data, which fantastic work that that Corey does, like tracking manually tracking yeah. just every NHL game. I don't know how a, a human manages to do that and watch as much hockey as he does, but he does this and he tracks it. And this is this is excellent data um, from Corey Schneider there. But um, so Dom Lecision kind of quotes this and talks about it but the two areas he looks at are retrievals like defensive zone puck retrievals and then zone exits so a defensive zone puck retrieval basically is i mean it's kind of what it sounds like it's you know when a player is able to retrieve the puck in the defensive zone and then zone exits when a player is able to take that retrieval 
and turn it into an exit of the defensive zone. And then there's also like controlled zone exits as well, where, you know, that's even more valuable if you can exit the defensive zone with control of the puck. But I mean, the, the number that numbers that really stood out to me here is apparently uh, Maddie Beniers this season has turned a, a retrieval, a defensive zone retrieval into a zone exit 81% of the time. And he's earned a controlled exit 78% of the time. Now, I mean, those numbers, as the article says, because it's hard to put that into context, right? right? But, you know, as Dom decision, he's someone who deals with these numbers and these stats a lot. He says that's very rare that you have somebody who's able to do that at that kind of clip. Um, and you look at Maddie Beniers and you, you talk about like with guys uh, with a certain defensive zone workload that, you know, play enough in the defensive zone. And he has this list, right, where he shows players sorted by the percent, their percentile in the NHL as far as zone exits and retrievals. You look at Matty Beniers last season, he was in the 98th percentile in zone exits and 100th percentile in retrievals, which just fantastic. Yeah. And then this year, 93rd percentile in exits, so a little bit lower, but still 100th percentile in retrievals. And so, you know, he averages those two numbers out and it's 99th percentile average, 97th percentile average, um, and you look at the other players on this list, and this is the real takeaway is just the company that he is in, in the NHL. I mean, there's only one player who over the last two years has been on this list at that level twice, as Lecision says, and it's, it's Connor McDavid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you look at the other players, you know, in that he's in their company, right? You've got Mark Stone, you know, the best defensive winger in the league. You've got Alexander Barkov, who somehow only has one Selkie trophy. I mean, you should have more. Yes. Um, but, you know, these are all guys who are in the Selkie conversation. And Matty Beneers, just two years into his career, is already in that company pretty consistently. And so we know how we know he's good defensively. But this data, I mean, really hammers home just how good he is. Yeah, no, and I'm gonna I'm just gonna like kind of continue to, to point this thing home. Uh he talks about over the last three years, only twenty-seven times has a forward playing top six minutes been in the ninetieth percentile in both you know, exits and retrieval. And only, you know, those guys that you mentioned, Barkov, Stone and McDavid and Maddie Beneers are the only four players to do that two seasons in two separate seasons to be at that level, right? Like of, of all the, the players and what really I think he, he tries to drive home in this is not only is Matty Beniers obviously clearly elite at both puck retrievals and zone exits, right? It's the fact that he also has a very heavy defensive workload and it leads to his defensive efficiency being just absolutely at an elite level where he is only in the company of Connor McDavid. Right. Like there's there's a second graph as, as part of the article that kind of uses um, the workload and the efficiency. Right. Right. It's it's looking at heavy usage in the defensive zone. And then who's the most efficient using those those exits and retrievals to get out of there. And Maddie Beniers is sandwiched between McDavid seasons. Right. And that's where Maddie Beniers hangs out. And he's above Barkov there. Right. Like look when looking at centers, which is wild to, to think about, like Maddie Beniers is being put in situations you know, where he is he is having immense pressure on him defensively to perform, and he's performing at the same level as literally the best player on the face of the planet. That's that's what this is saying. <laughs> that's like that's literally what this is. That's that is what the data is telling us. And so you look at that, RJ, and you go, 
I mean, where I mean, I don't even know where you go from there, other than to say Matty Beniers is one of the you know top three most valuable defensive centers already, right? Like that's essentially what this is saying, or at least when you're looking at these two aspects of playing defense, Matty Beniers is there. He's already at Barkov McDavid level. He's up there with Mark Stone. He's putting an echelon alongside players like Eichel, Barzell, Pedersen, or Austin Matthews when you look at, you know, um, efficiency level. But he's dealing with, you know, even more so. Um, like, his usage is higher than those guys defensively. So it's even more impressive than, say, Eichel, Barzell, Pedersen, or, or Matthews. So, I mean, the one thing to, to really take away is just, look, Matty Beniers is a fantastic defensive player. He's already that guy. Right. Like his potential was to be that guy. And he was that guy last year. And he's somehow gotten even better this year to the point where he's in the most elite company that you could possibly be in at the age of 21. Right. He's doing this well before McDavid did this in his career cycle yep. or any of these guys. So so that is fantastic. It's it's great news for Matty Beniers. And it's good news for the Kraken, too, that you have somebody who is this skilled and this dominant defensively, because that's that helps you out just in so many ways. It does. Yeah, lead. I mean, it, yeah, go for it. You know, I would say it, it helps you out in a lot of ways. But it's again, it's just good to know, because look, the talk about a sophomore slump and, and there's been a lot of worry over Matty mm -hmm. you know, This he is the real deal yeah. defensively. It just leaves the question of, OK, where's the offensive upside and, and, and how high can he go with that? And, you know, I think that's a good spot to be in with a young player, because, you know, if if. I feel like the offensive side actually can be easier to add to and, and learn. Is. And I mean, we saw him, you know, grow that a lot in his last season at Michigan and then through his rookie year, the fact that he's had that kind of production, at least in one season, in the NHL tells you it's there. That's a good sign. Mm -hmm. But then it also leads to the question because look, Matty Beneer's contract is up at the end of this season mm -hmm. <laughs> and the Kraken are going to have a very interesting decision of, do you want to sign him to a, a shorter term bridge deal? Do you want to sign him to a longer term deal what kind of bet are you going to make on Matty Beneers and his his defensive zone efficiency, his production, the whole package? It's everything. What kind of bet are you going to yeah. make on that? And if you're Matty Beneers, what kind of bet are you going to make on yourself or not? Right. And so that's the next question is what does that next contract look like for him? And Dylan, I mean, you kind of you thought of some comparable players here uh, for this kind of contract discussion. And, and I'm interested to hear you know, who you brought up, who you thought might provide some insight into what that next Matty Veneers contract could look like. Right. So the first thing that I was trying to do was I was trying to find, you know, comps for the, uh, you know, I mean, the defensive comps for him is it's literally like McDavid, Stone and Barkov. Right. And you look at <laughs> you look at their contracts and, you know, McDavid's obviously breaking the bank. He's up at the high end. It's I mean, he's the one that I didn't even bother to write down because it's it's yeah, 12 it's and a half, 12 and a half. It's high because, you know, look, it's McDavid. He's he's bringing you also a point and a half per game. He's an assist per game player. Right. Like he breaks things offensively. So it's harder to look at him than than say the other two. But you look at Mark Stone contract his cap hit nine point five a year which is very high for a winger, but it's because he is so elite defensively on top of being a point-per-game player. You look at, at uh, Sasha Barkov and, and you look at his contract, it's 10 a year. Again, though, he's a point-per-game center with this level of elite defense. And so you say, if if Matty Beneers was producing at a point-per-game, the contract 
comps are pretty simple, right? He gets 10 to 12 and a half, right? So yep. he probably falls somewhere in there because it's a little bit later than when Barkov signed his deal and the cap's going up, whatever. But that's it. Like that's the that's the ceiling for a point per game Matty Beniers. Matty Beniers is not a point per game player though, right? He's kind of not even close this year, right? So you, you know, you're looking at him and he's got 19 points through 46 games. It's that's less than half a point per game. So I was trying to think, well then what's the what's the value of just the defense alone if the offense is going to lag behind there? And the person I thought of was Philip Deneau, right? Somebody who has gone to UFA. He we saw what the open market kind of values defense, fantastic defensive center. Um, but the offense wasn't there that last season he was in Montreal before he hit um unrestricted free agency. And he was a half point per game player. That is who Philip Deneau was when he was with the Montreal Canadiens, his final season. Uh, yes, he you know he helped them immensely on their weird cup final run, and that kind of <laughs> maybe helps pump his value a little bit or, or something like that. But his last season in Montreal, he had he played 53 games and he had 24 points. It's roughly similar to, to the trajectory Maddie's yeah. on this season, right? And, and four points in 22 playoff games. As good right. as he was in that playoff yeah. round as a shutdown center, he didn't score. No, he didn't score. Like, his whole thing was just defense, playing defense, and it got him 5.5 cap hit. That's his per-year value on the open market. The LA Kings gave him that. Now, his offense has gone up some uh, since joining the Kings, right? He's, he's been more of like a 50-point guy over the course of a full season, 50 to 55 points. Um, but coming off as a half-point-per-game player with elite defense, it set the floor at 5.5 for him, and I think that that's appropriate to look at for Matty Beneers. So now you have a contract range of if Matty Beneers is going to be a half-point player, 5.5 a year, and if he's a point-per-game player of 10, maybe you know 10-plus. So where does this leave him? And it all just comes down to where do you think his offensive production can be, right? Do you think he's a point-per-game player? I don't think so. I just don't think that's ever been him. You go back to the draft, right? The mock draft I did the very first year we had Emerald City Hockey before the Kraken had ever played a game. And I said, he's going to be an elite defensive center, but he's not going to be a point per game player. Like I just, and I, and I stand by that now, even after seeing him and what he did last year and everything. And so looking at that being said though, I think, and we saw it last year, he's better than a half point per game player. So I think his contract's going to have to come in somewhere between that five and a half floor and the 10 ceiling. I'm giving him like eight and a quarter, 8.25 million. I think that's probably the sweet spot for Matty Beniers as far as fair value, right? Just based off of the level of production we saw him reach last year, which you can assume he can reach moving forward on top of having the, the elite defense. Maybe the elite defense, because it's so elite, pushes that up a little higher, maybe to like eight and a half. But I think realistically, that's probably where Maddie should be based on the comps that exist now. Maybe you inflate that number by another half million just because the cap is going to be going up over the next two years. But for my money, that's where it should be. Yeah, I think that sounds about right on a long-term deal. Because, I mean, you, as you said, the defense alone is worth five and a half you know, on the open market. And then you you uh, factor in the cap going up. And I just did some quick, you know, back of the envelope math. On today's cap, that's about $6 million. Yeah. But, you know, then you factor in just that elite level defensively plus the potential for for more points. You know, a younger player, yeah, I think on a long-term deal, you're probably looking at eight-something. And you know what? I think it's worth it. Like, that's yeah. a good bet to make. And I hope if Matty Veneers is willing to take a long-term deal at that kind of number, I would hope that Ron Francis would do it. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that, and what's crazy is, is this not like kind of around the numbers that we were talking at the beginning of the year, right before the season started, right? We were kind of talking about things in that eight and a half, nine, maybe nine and a half range, just because of, of the other young center comps. When you do lock them down long-term, you do have to pay for that premium. You're going to be taking, you know, I think two UFA years off the back end if it's an eight year deal. Um, And we were kind of talking about that. You know, it's only since the, the, the offense has kind of dropped off the way that it has. But again, when you start looking at, at direct comps for the level of player he is, I think you kind of get end up right back in that same spot uh, just because of yeah. how elite the defense truly is. Right. Oddly enough, right? I mean, as as bad as the offensive numbers have been, I know I was going up to about 10 at the start of the season. Yeah. Just because, you know, based off the offensive numbers from last year, if he could have just match sustained them this year sustained it right then then we're definitely talking in the in the 10 million range because even though he's not necessarily a point per game player you look at the elite defensive impacts for a player who can score like that and you know that's just so valuable right um but it does make this you know more a more complicated conversation one of the more interesting contract situations that we've seen in the league in a while because there there just haven't been many players certainly not at this age that have this kind of profile. No, nobody I mean, has who's that the last level guy of at this age, this young, to have that kind of elite defensive impact nobody. consistently over that kind of workload. Nobody. Right. Like he, there is no direct comp for a guy on their ELC to have two seasons, uh, you know, that high up in the 90th percentile for these things. Like it just doesn't exist. He is the only one. And so you know, that always it becomes wild come contract negotiations when you can walk in and say, I am the only person who can provide this. And then you both have to settle on what that's worth like that. That's always when, you know, the, the one thing you can say about it is that it'll take some time. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's, that's the big thing that you talk about. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be fascinating. And look, he's still got time. Right. There's still like, what, 30 games in which he could he could really ramp up the point production and and get it up to make himself, you know, look like a guy who can be, you know, a 60, 65 point producer on a yearly basis, similar to what he was last year. And and really kind of force the issue and and kind of solidify that that number should be closer to 10. Right. And and that's something that Kraken fans should be looking at a lot the remainder of this season, you know, even if the Kraken aren't necessarily if they you know do lose they're not in a playoff position right that's something very important because whatever that number is for maddie Beniers, whatever that cap hit is for this next contract that might be the most important one of the most important numbers for the seattle kraken and their long-term future um so it's it's going to be very interesting to see what that turns out to be and it's still very much in flux i think it it there's a huge range as far as what it could end up being based on certain things like just his performance, his offensive production the rest of the season, based on maybe even this article coming out. I mean, I bet his agent loves this article yeah. that this exists now, right? Yes, you you would definitely have to uh, if you were representing Maddie Beniers, if you're part of the Maddie Beniers camp, this this only means dollar signs, right? Like, because it's it's just fantastic. And and it should be something that that also just helps make a lot of Seattle Kraken fans feel better, too. Right. And and that's the, the other thing that I want to point out is just, you know, and that's that's why I brought up earlier in the year, Matty Beneers playing well and 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 the, the whole idea of the, naming the, the, the episode Matty Beneers is good, actually. Right. Just because I know there's been a lot of talk about the the decreased goal and point production. Right. That those numbers, they're, they're not good. They're not great. 
right? I think everybody could get on board with that. Um, given how much he plays and how important he is to this team, you would want those numbers to be better. But I think it's very important to recognize this thing that is easy to overlook. It's hard to spot. And it's, um, you know, it's it's hard to, to even have numbers represent at all. But when you can have numbers represent it, it's truly, truly special. What we are watching with Matty Beniers is just not something you get to see. It's just not. Yeah. Uh, and and I think that it really does deserve to be talked about. He deserves so much praise for it because it is it's it's the hardest thing to do is is the the defensive side of things like it's it's so hard to teach. It requires so much effort physically. Right. We've always talked about Matty Beniers' motor and how that's helped him be a 200 foot player. But it, it, it totally requires that you have that strength and stamina to do this. It requires you to just always be smart. You always have to know where the right place to be is at any given time and get yourself there. You have to be able to read what the other team is doing so that you can go and get those puck retrievals, right? That doesn't just happen. You don't just magically end mm. up in the 98th percentile just be, just by getting lucky, right? Like that doesn't happen. It requires a lot of work. It requires studying. It requires a lot of knowledge on his part that he's able to implement at game speed on a nightly basis through a grueling 82 game season. And which by the way, he did this last year during his first season, right? He had a great defensive year during his first season and now through his sophomore season. And so he deserves a lot, a lot of praise for what he's doing because of how special it is. And, and because, like we said earlier, there's just nobody who's ever done this this young, this early in their career to do what he's doing. is It's just remarkable. And I really, really want to make sure as many Kraken fans as possible hear that message. Yeah, these next few games, just watch him whenever he's in the D zone. If you see Matty Beniers out there on the ice and the, and the Kraken in the D zone, just watch him. Just don't take your eyes off of him. I think you'll you'll find some stuff that uh, you can really appreciate. Yeah, or RJ will curse him because that's what RJ's been doing lately with like the Sharks game and some other stuff. So maybe maybe don't. But uh, wait wait a couple of days and then watch him. Uh, no, it's it's been it's been really good stuff from him. So last question, RJ. Let's let's just talk about this, right? Looking at looking at Matty Beniers here. What can he do to increase his his point production? Right. If that's the thing or get back to the level he was at last season, we can we can kind of end the podcast on this and end the discussion on this. Right. He had 57 points last year, 24 goals in 80 games. Um, we talked about like over the course of the offseason, one of the big things I talked about was, you know, look, the, the way for him to kind of take the next step, the next level forward from an offensive standpoint was to produce more on the power play. Only four of his 24 goals last year were power play goals. He is doing that in a greater rate this year, RJ. I know he's only got six goals, but guess what? Two of them are on the power play. He's up to he's up to a third of his <laughs> his goal production being on the power play. I guess he listened. Um, I don't know. Like like what for you is is the thing as you watch Matty Beniers in the offensive zone that that makes you think? Well, maybe maybe he can you know take a step forward here, or if he just does this, I think he can have a little bit more success. If there is something that you've noticed. Right. Well, I mean, I'll try not to harp on it too much because it's something I've been on him for a while about dating back to last season. And that is just kind of vary your shot selection a little bit. He has this one shot that he likes to do, you know, this this wrist shot where he kind of aims right under the glove, right under the far pad of the goalie. It's you know, he's very good at it. But at a certain point, if you watch your tape, it's easy to read. It's easy to know it's coming. And, you know, goalies can study that and, and defend against it. And if you look at when Beniers has been on on a bit of you know goal scoring runs this season when he has had his production 
he was targeting other areas of the net. He was going top corner, like blocker yeah. side. He was varying his shot selection. He did that, I thought, to great effect. And then he just kind of stopped doing it and kind of reverted back to the, the you know, what he knows, his bread and butter, his, uh, you know, his predictable shot. So I think varying the shot selection, number one. Um, number two, I mean, I think you saw it where he was almost, well, he was credited with the goal briefly last game, right? Mm -hmm. But doing those kind of, you know, drive-by looks, in front of the net, right? I mean, look, given his size, he's not going to be able to battle to the front of the net and get net front like guys like, you know, Jaden Schwartz do consistently. That's just not going to be his game. But if you keep up that motion in the offensive zone, when you have cycles, when you have plays like that going and just kind of do those drive-bys in the, through the high slot, sometimes through the low slot, I mean, pucks just tend to find you when you do stuff like that. And he has the reflexes. He has the ability to tip pucks. You know, he has the ability to, to finish when pucks kind of pop out to him or rebounds pop out to him. You saw him do that a lot last season. Not so much this year. I'd say go back to that. In the medium to longer term, he's got to bulk up. And I know this is something that's been talked about a lot with Matty Beniers, but longer term, you just can't, stay with that frame and have the ability to kind of dictate things in the offensive zone when you're dealing with bigger, stronger defensemen, certainly anywhere around the boards or any of those tough areas that you need to go to, to score sometimes, or to be a distributor too, like behind the net, you know, you're going to take some punishment back there. He has to bulk up and that's not something he can do this season, but he has a lot of time. You know, he's a young player. He's 21 years old he'll have time to kind of add to that frame, but this off season, that's the number one thing I think he's got to be working on. I, I still don't know. No, about, you disagree? I still don't know about the bulking up because I, I don't want it to affect him defensively, right? If him playing at a lighter right. weight is what allows him to get back and, and play 200 feet with the efficiency that he can, I, I don't want to slow him down or anything, right? I don't want him to, to worry too much about trying to be more physical when his bread and butter is, is, you know, being in the right place at the right time, right? That requires you to be agile, to a certain extent, but, but there has to be some wiggle room, right? I mean, six two one seventy eight. Yeah, yeah. There, there's got to be, you know, maybe yeah, well, look, we, what, ten pounds he could add. He was bigger last year, like he he just yeah. was bigger, right? Like you and I have seen him in locker rooms outside of pads. He was he was bigger last year. Like in my mind, there's no question yeah. there, right? So he can't, and he and he still had elite defensive production last year so i do think that there is probably a, a 10 pound wiggle room that he could probably get back to um it would be interesting I feel like you have to target it smartly too if you're yes. like the training staff this isn't just like hey bulk up kid right? right that's the wrong approach this i feel like this might be a fun challenge for a for a training staff right yeah or for a strength training perspective like all right here are the specific areas we're going to target for muscle we don't want you getting too heavy but, you know, we're going to just target here, here, and here so you can kind of win more board battles and still be light enough. Right. And I think it would be interesting to talk to him about it, too. Because remember, last offseason, not this last offseason, but the offseason before his his full rookie year, right? A lot of the talk was about how much bigger and stronger he was going into his rookie season, his first full season. And you could tell that he was, right? F compared to the 10 games he had played in year one, he was definitely bigger and stronger year two. And that was a big off-season story going in through training camp and all of that stuff. And then for him to show up this year and be lighter, I do wonder, I wonder if he felt like it affected his game being that size. Although I think you just look at the numbers and you just say his defense was still elite last year and then his point production dropped off this year. He should probably be playing at a heavier weight, maybe. 
Yeah, probably. <laughs> so it's probably probably works out there a little bit. Um, I agree with the with the shot selection and the variety there. I think that that's something. I'm thinking back to his days at Michigan and when he was very successful offensively. That second year at Michigan, when he really focused on his offense and what positions was he put in to really succeed at that level? Um, at, when he kind of had his offensive awakening that year after the Kraken drafted him, and one of the things that they did was on power plays they had him you know at the side of the net right and he was there and he could step up and kind of go for one timers down low or he was a distributor from the side of the net kind of that classic Sidney Crosby power play spot right and this is one of the reasons why I actually compared him his style of play to Sidney Crosby was because of the 200 foot game and the way he comes back and helps deep into the defensive zone uh, and then can move the puck out of there. And because of where he liked to sit offensively, it was very reminiscent of Sidney Crosby. Go back and look at any Penguins power play that Sidney Crosby was a part of for the last 15 years. And you will see Crosby in the exact same spot and it's down low parallel to the goal line. He's on the goal line, just to the side of the net, usually to the right side. If you're looking at the goalie, Right. And that's where he set up. And that's where Matty Benier set up a lot at Michigan. And he had a lot of success distributing from there. He was really good at finding teammates from there. If then you have player motion around that. Right. He was very good at threading the needle and finding guys. I think that would be a place to put him on the power play. And then, yeah, I'm with you. I think just let him move in the offensive zone. That's what he's always wanted. I've always I've been saying that all year. He just needs to be given the freedom to move around in the offensive zone wherever he wants to go because the bottom line is the kid has fantastic instincts for where the puck's going to end up. He's clearly got that defensively. He's ending up with the puck in the defensive zone all the time. Let him use those in the offensive zone. You know if it works defensively, it's going to be there for him offensively too. I want to see him given the freedom to really move around. He can find pucks, retrieve pucks in the offensive zone too and make plays with them. Or like you said, get moving screens, get moving deflections as he's going through. Because even if he's just getting the screens, RJ, he's going to start racking up points if they score a bunch because he'll have dished the puck to somebody, right? And then he goes and screens and lets them shoot it in. Like it's still a recipe for success. So those are the two things that I think the Kraken need to be looking at with Matty Beniers just to kind of put him more into a, a comfort zone. Put Go back and look at where he was most successful and, and did his best offensive work and let him do that here. I, I, I really think that it can and it should fit with what the Kraken are doing as a whole, you know, scheme wise. Like that shouldn't be a problem for them. No, I mean, it really doesn't kind of fly in the face of what they do generally. So, I mean, it's the kind of thing you know, it takes time i guess to implement too i mean that's the the tough part about the grind of a schedule that they're on for the rest of the season but if you kind of i guess slowly implement i look is that well, a next is, season thing i was gonna say it could be a next season thing but this is the easiest thing to implement right you just tell a guy to go out there and don't worry about it you just say don't worry about offensive structure do your thing that, that, yeah. that shouldn't that doesn't take time to implement to tell a guy stop trying to fit into the box that we're fitting the other guys into just do your thing and really He's got 19 points through 46 games. What do you have to lose by doing that, right? He's a great defensive guy. You don't need to worry about him. You know, he's going to take care of things back there. You might as well just tell him, go for it. Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't see why not. And, and look, his his wingers can adjust to that. Look, Everly's a veteran. Yes. You know, he knows Paneer's going to go do his thing and move around to the offensive zone. And he's a smart player, too. I mean, like, look, Jordan Everly, 
he can adapt. He can go to different spots. Mm-hmm. He can kind of pick up on what Maddie Veneers is putting down, right? And I was gonna say, and even more than that, Tatar has. We've seen it. Mm-hmm. Look at the look at the goals that Tatar has scored that Maddie has set up, right? Like I think of the one in Anaheim and stuff, right? Maddie Veneers and Tatar have a connection, right? Tatar gets when Maddie goes to do something, Tatar gets it and he finds a way to get open for him. Right. Like they have a connection there. If if that's only going to be for the rest of this year, then you got to take advantage of it. If you're if you're the coaching staff. And I, I think that you can. Last question on, on Matty Veneers. Do you think he just needs to shoot more at less than 150 <laughs> shots last year? He's he's tracking for less than 150 shots on goal this year. Do you think some of it is that he's just not getting enough volume? Yeah, that is some of it, because I, I was when I was thinking about his shot selection, right, I was trying to come up with examples from recent games and there aren't I any. can't think of a whole lot where yeah. he's shot the puck right specific shots um do I have he has, enough time he has, to he has look up yeah four shots on goal in his last five games and that includes one game with two so two of his last five games he has not had a shot on goal yeah no I mean you look at he had two shots against Columbus right that's the one where he had two the last game he had more than two shots on goal was December 20th it's a long time you know, against the Kings it is a long time so so maybe it's just as simple as that. Just if, if you're not going to be able to, you know, always snipe it where you want to, just beat them with volume. It's worked for Ovechkin and Brent Burns. Yeah, they've, they've broken through. <laughs> All yeah, right. We'll talk, we can talk about that on Red Glare with Ovechkin. Yeah, so um, it's it's still, though, again, the important stuff is just how special Maddie has been defensively and the, the numbers that back that up. And, and again, I, I really want that message to reach as many Kraken fans as possible because I, you know, I, I'm not going to say that he's gotten like, you know, unfair criticism, right, for the, the, the dip in offensive production. But I do think that, it, you know, if, if you're going to criticize that aspect of his game, you got to appreciate the other side of it and, and how special it's been. And, um, you know, if, if anybody just says yes, but he's he's the second lowest on the team and plus minus just walk away. <laughs> yep. Just, just walk away. <laughs> Don't engage. Point. It's not worth it. Oh, man. Yeah. So, um. Yeah, and that's going to do it for this podcast. So another reminder for the watch party tomorrow night at the South Lake Union location of Flatstick Pub, 4.30 start for the Krakens game against the Islanders. Another huge shout-out to Queen Anne Beer Hall for sponsoring the podcast, as they always do. Again, there's the Super Bowl party going on yesterday. looked like a ton of fun. Can't wait to get up there. And uh, I still need to check out the Moss Bay Hall location, RJ. I still got to check you it do. out. I got to get up there and see it. I know everybody that's gone there has just had nothing but good things to say. So really excited about that. And then uh, we will see everybody. Well, if you're listening to this right when it drops, we'll see you all tonight for the Kraken Post Game Live after the game <laughs> against the Devils. Hey everyone, before we go, we just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over at patreon.com slash emeraldcityhockey, especially our Terror of the Deep patrons. Absurdly Sane, Alaska Joe, Alex, Alvi, Andrew, Anonymous, Anthony, Beef, Ben, Brad, Brian, Bryce, Burnt Creme, Caden, Kat, Kaylin, Shazzle Dazzle, Chip, Chris, Christian, Cody, Connor, Coop, Corey, Danny39, Denise, DJ Singletone, Duthin, Evie99, Eli, Elizabeth, Elizabeth, Empty Net Hockey, Ethan, Evan, Fusion Mix, Gaby, Gary, Gregory, Harry Legionary, Helena, Habak, Jane, 
Jenna, Jessica, Joni, Joseph, Josh, Joshua, Julia, Justin, Katie, Kepler, Kitty B. Kraken, L. Bell, Leanne, Levin, Light, Little Tennis Guy 8, Lonnie, Mac and Cheese, Maeve, Mark, Max, Maya, Michelle, Nick, Night Drop, Noah, Nunya, Olivia, Paige, Patty, Paul, Rayanne, Randall, Rebecca, Robert, Ryan, Sarah, Scott, Sia Kraken, Sean, Sean, Sergey, Sergeant Pickles, Shannon, Skeletal Tendency, Steven, Striatic, Tasty Kobold, Team 114 Chris, Ty, Virginia, Wendy, Where the Slovakians At, and Zoe. Thank you so much for making all this possible. We really appreciate your support.